your branding badass, and welcome to Season 2 of Branding Matters. My guest today is David Breyer, the founder and chief gravity defier at DBD International, a branding agency that designs and transforms brands. David is a Fast Company expert blogger and the subject of numerous articles in Forbes, Adweek, Huffington Post, and Business Insider. He's also the recipient of the President Ambassador for Global Entrepreneurship Medallion, which was presented to him by Shark Tank star and New York Times bestseller, Damon John. David is also an award-winning veteran and recipient of over 330 international industry recognitions in branding, rebrands, design, and brand strategy. And as if that's not impressive enough, David is also a best-selling author, and his newest book, Brand Intervention, 33 Steps to Transform the Brand You Have into the Brand You Need, is an Amazon bestseller, and it's regarded as the branding bible. I invited David to be a guest on my show today to talk about how brands can rise above the noise and gain the attention of their audience. I wanted to know why certain brands take off while others are left in the dust. And I was curious to learn about his popular YouTube series called One Minute Wednesday. David, I am so, so excited to have you here today. Welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you so much. It's nice to have you here. Where in the U.S. are you? I am in, I'm in Wisconsin. You're in Wisconsin. Okay. So I'm in Calgary, but I'm originally from Montreal and we have a Montreal connection. Your dad was born in Montreal, but you weren't. Is that correct? He moved, um, I believe it was his late teens that he moved to Brooklyn. And I've only been to Canada. So I've been to Vancouver and I've been to Toronto. So you've never been to Montreal? Never. Never. Eh? Well, I, I want to talk a bit about Montreal because that's where I'm from and I have my heart is there. And so I want to talk about your dad because he seems like a really interesting character and he was sort of famous in his day. So can you share a little bit about his name was Sam? Sam. Yep. Sam. So tell us about Sam and he was born in Montreal. Yeah. So there are three sons of which I'm the youngest. And so by the time that I popped out of my mom, that was his, uh, history, you know, because my brothers are, you know, were 14 and 15 years older than myself. So I was the only planned one. And my mother and father, about 35, when they had me, you know, he'd done this, he wrapped this up. I think the last he really got into it was, I think a couple of years before I was born, is that he was almost just about done with it. He was kind of still dabbling with the different bits and pieces. So yeah, it wasn't a large, I mean, it was stuff I knew of, but it wasn't stuff he was actively doing a lot of by the time that I came around. But share what he did. We, we haven't even talked about, because I think what he did was really interesting. I did a little bit of research on him. And so can you share a bit about what he did? You mean as a cartoonist? Yeah. But what's interesting for your listeners it was an art to the way the drawings were done and the stories were told. He found family life to be something of an inspiration for what fueled his having little kids in adult clothing, sort of playing house. What I thought was interesting when I did research about you and about your dad was just the whole, so he, I think he was a famous, famous back in Montreal, like in the 19, early 1950s. And a lot of people compared him to Charles Schultz, right? And so. Yeah, they, they were, they started at the same time. Yeah. And that's, that's what I thought was really cool about it. He had this famous comic strip, I think it was called Small World. And. 
Yeah. Schultz, I was looking at peanuts and they, Thomas Schultz launched peanuts in 1952 and your dad 1954. And there was all this comparison. And I, I, I love the history about that, you know, and I thought that was really interesting. And so I was checking into that. Anyway, I just wanted to share that because he was in Montreal and I'm from Montreal. And so I thought that was very cool. And I'm surprised well, you've never well, been. You, you, have- may, you may, you may be a, you may be a third or fourth cousin removed. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Who knows, right? Well, you have to make it there if you've never been, because it's actually a, a really great city. So then, do, would you say your dad had any influence on as far as your career goes, based on his artistic background, or was he, you said he already retired by the time you came around? Or well, he retired from that. He was still an entrepreneur, but he, right. he, he didn't retire. I, I don't think anybody in my in my family. I mean, I guess there are a few of them that retired. Retirement was never like a big part of the of our family culture. I love what I do. I just posted something just last week and I said, someone said, when are you going to retire? And, I, and my response was when I'm dead, because why would I stop? It, that's unfathomable to me. That's like a bizarre concept. It's interesting. You know, my dad was the same way. He had his own business and he worked literally up until the day he died. He was sick with cancer and he, you know, was in treatment and it was secretary's day. I don't know what the actual career term now is called. And I remember him like ordering flowers for his secretary, you know, here he is dying. And you know, he just was so passionate about his business and his work. And yeah, so if you can find something you're passionate about, that's really great, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about what you're passionate about. Perfect segue. DBD. What does that stand for? Initially, when I first started my started my career, I created David Breyer Design Works. It became a little bit of a thorn in my side because when people would call, they would only ask for me. And also at the time, as I was evolving, they were only asking for design. And I'm like, I don't think of things singularly as just design. I looked at many more of the parts because to me, design is one piece. It's like the guitar solo. It's not the entire song. I was interested in the entire song. I was interested in what made these collection of things a symphony where everything came together and you were like, oh my God, I've never heard harmonies like that. I've never heard rhythm like that. I've never heard cadences like that. And so that's my love and my passion has to do with that. And so that's where I really get super, super excited. Did you ever think of changing the name then from David Breyer Design once you evolved and you got the more different? DVD, DVD, that's that DVD International was the evolution. What that? What oh, that, I see. Okay. When people hire me, that's who they make checks out to. That's who they pay. But it really remains like a like a legal name. It's kind of like Procter and Gamble. You know, not many people, unless you're in business, knows about Procter and Gamble. We know about the products they make and that we buy. So I, I kind of got annoyed because DBD. Okay, what was it? David Breyer Design it was an abbreviation, an acronym for that. But it kind of I didn't like it. Whenever I said DVD, people say, "Do you mean DVD? Like the DVD player?" I said, "No." <laughs> and it was just very frustrating. So I told them, I said, "DBD, like don't be dumb." Oh, you know? Okay. Or Dancing before dawn. Those are the two things that came up with. And that that seemed to move it along. But obviously that brought out my New York rebel. Rationist? <laughs> yeah, yes. no. Oh, okay. I, I thought that's what it was for, but I just wasn't sure. So thank you for clearing that. So then what's a chief gravity defier? I love that name, by the way. How'd you come up with that? Well, what happened was, was I don't know, probably 10 years into doing, because I've been doing this for 41 years. So it's for 10 years into this. You started uh, when you were like, what, 15? Uh, yeah, 12. Yeah, and so, me too. <laughs> and, and so what happened was I really liked the concept. There was something that I'd seen from Joe Jackson, the angry punk rocker, British punk rocker. And then he evolved musically over the years. I think he wrote a book called The Cure for Gravity. And I always thought, 
what an interesting concept, the cure for gravity. I thought that was brilliant. You know, it's like you don't think of gravity as something to cure. You think of it as something that's inevitable. You hold something here, you let open your hand and it's going to freaking fall. So the concept, I love that juxtaposition. I love that. And so I started looking at the factor of what do I do? I help clients defy gravity and rise above the noise. That's why my website is rising above the noise. Chief gravity defier. I love I love when people did smart plays on their names that went on their business card. And so the idea of like a chief something, you know, like, okay, chief executive officer is very common, chief operating officer, et cetera, et cetera. There's like chief, 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 chief. So I was like, chief gravity to fire. Ooh. And <laughs> it would always bring smile to people's faces than when they would read it. I love that. That's great. Kind of like branding badass, right? Absolutely. <laughs> the fiery defiance of it all. Exactly. Well, I love it. It's a great name. So I want to talk about branding because that's what we're here for. So how did you go from being a graphic designer getting into branding? I start in the industry. So this is an 80 when I start. And you have to understand there were no computers, no social media, no internet, no email, none of that stuff. So when you said you were a designer, the options were short. They were like, okay, what type of designer? Which was never a favorite direction for a conversation to go in. It's like, oh, geez, I always have to explain this all again and again and again. But the options were short. It was like either interior designer, fashion designer, graphic designer. When you say graphic designer, they still were like clueless. They were like, what does that mean? What is a what is a graph? Fashion designer, sure, we get it. Interior designer, totally. Room, great. Graphic designer, who or what to grab? What, what, what's what's the canvas? What's the thing that they're transforming? And so since it could apply to so many areas, it was an annoying conversation, actually. Then a few years into my career, all of a sudden there's this stuff about having to do with a computer and computers are coming into the scene. I'm like, what are these things? I mean, we, we, we mastered our skill and, you know, you see little bits of pieces of artwork on the walls. I mean, tell me something you want drawn. I can draw it for you. So I have those skill sets. So the idea of a computer seemed to be like a real degrade. And then, then we heard about these new species, a new category of designer, web designer. And, and then I hear about these web designers and still you know, considering this to be an alien invasion of some sort. It's like, so web designer, what, so what type of, so what do you design? So you, you know about color and typography? Oh, no, no, no. I'm a web designer. Well, what does that mean? Oh, I do code. Why the hell are you calling yourself a designer? So the whole thing of a designer was had a lot of landmines of frustration to just have a conversation. So that's when I started to like want to redefine that. And at the same time as that that's happening, my interest is expanding because again, what I started out in the beginning of my career, I was already an artist. So now I figured, how am I going to make money? I'll be an illustrator. Then I was like, hmm, if I'm an illustrator, I can give something to somebody. They could make the worst choices of font and color and layout and scale and relationships and they could take something gorgeous that I created. It's kind of like probably how someone feels if they bring a, an amazing piece of meat or fish or poultry or vegetables to a lousy chef who then overcooks it mm -hmm. and uses horrendous quality oils and oversalts it and cooks it too long or cooks it too short. And just like you go, oh, it, it just kills a part of you inside. And that to me was the idea of like, I'm going to just give this one little piece and hope that that art director is having a good day. I hated that. 
I hated leaving it up to fate. So that's why I started to just take more ownership. I go, okay, I love language. I love story. I started out very much from the editorial side of design, you know, for magazines. And that whole thing was more where I started as opposed to some designers. They start from packaging design. I approached packaging later in my career. And that's how it started to evolve, where I started to really get into branding. So branding, then how would you, David Breer, is it Breer or Breyer? It is Breyer. It is Breyer like fire and fire, wire. And gravity defier. Gravity. Okay. David Breyer. Well, I, I want to get it right up front. People call me Joelly all the time. So I always have to correct them right away that it's Jolie. So David Breyer, how do you define branding then? Because I've heard you say branding is the art of differentiation, which I yes, thought was really interesting. Of, so exactly. can you elaborate on that? Totally. Well, the basic thing is it, it introduced and made and made known in my bestseller. Okay, I just have to tell people that you just held up your book because this is audio, so brand intervention. And we're going to talk about your book. I just held up my book. And what what does my book sound like when you hit it? (laughs) That's what it sounds like. It's amazing. (laughs) So so when you get your copy and when you hit somebody, they really feel it. Yeah, that's a big book. If they hit them, if you hit them with a paperback, they will know that your heart's not in it. That will be bad. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that. So the art of differentiation. Yep. And so the art of differentiation. What I found was as I was doing stuff, and I as I was starting to really sort of experiment, I was like, why did certain design solutions and branding solutions hit it out of the ballpark, and others just die? Why did, were there sometimes ugly designs and ugly brands? That were like really just, you go, ugh, you cringe, but yet they sold. And yet much classier, much tastier ones didn't sell. That was something that I was trying to really solve. First of all, the premise is this. One is there's no shortage of choices, whether it's a blouse, whether it's some shoes, sneakers, equipment of some sort, type of car, restaurant to choose. We have many, many, many choices, no shortage. What's going to get me to make a shift and go, oh, I'm going to actually adopt that. Is it just going to be, oh, it has XYZ feature? Or, ooh, it has, you know, what's, what, that didn't make any sense. That didn't add up. So that's where I started to really go. So what is it? What's happening there? And it was this point of differentiation. And the way I came to that was by looking at the opposite. The opposite is what? Things see, appear the same as one another. And when you have that, what happens? You actually have people reverting to price. Why? Because they're demanding differentiate. If if the value is the same, if these two, if these two brands of XYZ, whatever it is, take your pick of category are the same. I'm going to go, well, if they're the same in terms of look, feel, features, and deliverable, what am I going to say? Well, then, then which one's cheaper? That'll be my default. And it's not because we're cheap, but we demand the difference. So that was the kind of turning point for me, realizing that we need to really, really understand and embrace, not use cliches, which put us as the same, this is the same as that, is the same as that, is the same as that. And that's that's where it came to. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Have you ever heard, um, I had a guest on and he talked about that and he talked about the worst four words in business are, do you know what they are? How much does it cost? <laughs> Close. All things being equal. Right. All things right? being equal. Well, well here, to, to, to drive the point even more, here, here's the interesting thing. I know that there are, there are people who are listening to this who say, they might say that I'm crazy, but I, I'll tell you this. You know, the one business I would never, ever in a million years will ever want to have would be Walmart. If I had a choice of a company, why? Because you know that Walmart actually has no loyal customers. No one is loyal to Walmart, the brand. What they are loyal to is the cheap price. If another company came along and says, you know what, whatever Walmart charges, we're going to do 5% cheaper. They would jump ship. So there's no loyalty. You stand for nothing other than cheap price because every brand 
if you know, if you really understand branding, there's a qualitative side, there's a quantitative side, and that's really the thing there. So that is the most important thing. And if you're just on the quantitative side, like, oh, they could do it for ten thousand bucks, we'll do it for ninety two fifty. No, it's the worst. I mean, uh, to be a commodity, you're you're always going to be competing on price, and I I totally agree with you. I mean, that is such a huge thing. I've heard you also talk about saying, you know, cookie cutters are made for baking and not branding, which was such a great quote, right? <laughs> because people are just you know, you see something out there that you think is good and you want to hop on the train and be do exactly the same thing versus seeing what you're, I always say, you know, find out what your comp- competitors are doing, check them out, see what they're doing, and then do the complete opposite and lean into what they're not offering and use that as your way to sort of promote your branding, right? So everything you're saying, I love it. It's so true. Yeah. So we mentioned a bit earlier about passion and I love the way you talk about how passion is an overlooked ingredient in branding. So can you elaborate on that and and I think you were speaking more specifically as far as the audience goes versus the brand itself. When you're when I'm thinking about passion, I think a lot of times business owners and entrepreneurs and someone who might be listening, they're so passionate about what they're doing and what their brand is and not necessarily, for example, I think of a brand like Yeti. Okay, Yeti hit the nail on the head, right? They know what their audience is passionate about. That's why they can charge ridiculous amounts for their products, right? I get demands for Yeti all the time. It's because, the you know, it started off as you, I don't know if you know the story about Yeti. I'm sure you do, right? Where they were. Uh, I would I would love to know. I actually don't know the story of Yeti. I would love to know. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I, know, I know that there's a very allegiant audience, but I do not know the backstory. They're, it's like a cult. I mean, they are, they, these were designed for these guys, the, the, hardcore, you know, hunters and fishermen, and they were having, they go out for hours and hours and hours into the wilderness and, you know, and their their food or their drinks wouldn't stay cold. And so they developed this cooler, like thinking about their consumer and what they were passionate about and then designed something that they didn't even know they needed. And, you know, and they did that. And then it became this very high end brand now. I mean, a Yeti cooler is, I don't know what is in the US, but three, $400, sometimes more, $600. And it's a cooler, right? And there's never been a cooler out there or a brand that has been able to charge that. They tapped into the passion of their audience and then use that as a way to brand themselves. And now it's become into the everyday ethos where people just want the Yeti brand because of the status that it has. But that's where it started. You know, yeah. So. And it's, it's yeah, what they what they did is they basically tapped into it being a lifestyle brand. It's always interesting to me. I always have that question. I'm like, tell me what you're tell me what business are you in? I always tell clients and it's fascinating that like 80, 80, 90 percent, they get a big answer. Their answer is completely useless and, and totally wrong. They think it's what they make. They think it's what they do. And it's like, no. It's like, you know, I mean, I tell them, I said, hey, look, Porsche makes a freaking car. Okay. But people buy status in the passing lane, you know, and, uh, you know, status and style in the passing lane. So, you know, it's like, what are people buying versus what are people, you know, what are we selling? That's got to be clear. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love that. Okay. So I want to talk about your book, not the one that we just talked about. We're going to get to that, but you had another book out called Lucky Branding. And in that, you mentioned the 10 golden rules of branding. Yeah. So can you share some of those, maybe your top favorite rules of that book? Well, I mean, as far as, well, as far as the lucky brand, this is probably one of my favorites because of the fact that I use this all the time. Okay. That rules enable one to follow, knowledge enables one to lead. And that's, that I actually tie into my masterclass. I go over, I said, guys, if you're looking for rules that you can blindly follow, forget about it. That's not going to happen. 
Um, Can you repeat that? Repeat that because you said it really fast. Rules enable one to follow. Knowledge enables one to lead. So the thing is, is that rules, what are rules? Rules are like, oh, okay, oh, I should, when that happens, I should do blank. You know what's removed from that entire equation? What's removed from that entire equation is you and being able to think for yourself. Anything that diminishes your ability to think or my ability to think is valueless. We have to be able to think for ourselves. So rules enable one to follow. Okay, learn the rules. Okay, do this, do that, do that, do that, do that. Now get it, get those rules mastered to the point you can choose to do them or not. And that's where knowledge comes in because knowledge has judgment. Knowledge requires observation. Knowledge is vastly senior. Rules are, that's like, okay, if you want to be a robot, hasta la vista, baby. Hmm. Okay. That's a good one. I like that. Can you give share one more? Only one more? Well, you can share more if you want. I mean, I would say... Um, you know, it's kind of interesting uh, as you're as you're thinking. Uh, sorry, I just have to I have to stop you for one second because I just thought of this. So we're talking about this, but then the title is the Ten Golden Rules of Branding. Yeah. So you're talking about rules and the subject. Yeah, yeah. Well, I in that particular context, I'm using I'm using rules as guidelines as guideposts, not as something for you to mindlessly follow and adhere to. That that's my definition of rule. You know, so which is probably breaking the rules but by making <laughs> by making up my own definition of a word. Exactly. Okay. But, that, but that's the way that's the way I roll. You know, yeah. I, I I I had a great laugh with my daughter once when we were riding in a car, and and my my daughter gave an opinion about something, and I was talking to her fiance, and I said something that you should know about the Briars, and he goes, "What is that?" And I said, "Well, we never let something as trivial as mere facts." stand in the way of us being complete experts on a topic. Oh, totally. Well, that's great. I, you know, I've heard the summer thing where never let facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> right. Exactly. But one, but, but golden rule number eight is if you don't tell your customer what the difference is, your customer will decide it for you. That is vitally important to know. It's basically, if we don't define our story, the marketplace will define it for us. No market loves a vacuum. Without that difference being established, we have to own that difference. Come up with the innovation for us. No innovation ever came from a marketplace. The innovations always came from an individual who was paying attention to the marketplace. This episode of Branding Matters is brought to you by Inflection Media. Inflection Media writes the poetry of brands. That means telling your unique story with content that actually lands. Not boring basic blog posts or cookie cutter designs, but content that aligns and combines to blow your market's mind. Their work has been featured globally, Forbes, Sky, CNBC, and they've worked with clients in every industry. New York Times bestsellers to SaaS companies. So if you want to command, demand for your brand, visit inflection.media to understand. That's inflection with an X, not a CT. Go there to discover your brand's poetry. And now, back to our show. So let's talk about One Minute Wednesday, because I think that's such a fun, interesting initiative that you started. And I want to know how you started, why you started and how it's going. Cool. Basically, as much as I like to think that I'm on top of, of really planning all my stuff out really, really, really well, there was something that escaped me when I was just 
about to release brand intervention. And I realized if I don't have a regular presence, I could come out with this. And unless I'm doing some like grand book tour or something like that, I'll be seen as a one, a one hit wonder. I just realized there's a real potential downside. If you put out a book, all the eyeballs are on you. It's kind of like all of a sudden your part in the play comes and all the spotlight goes on you and you don't know your lines. You're like, holy shit, this is really a problem. So that was, that was my realization. And it was like, oh my God, I got to start coming out with something with some regular thing. Because at that time, I wasn't coming out with regular content on YouTube or, or other social channels. I was, kind of, I was doing things. Yes, I was having a presence, but it wasn't adhering to anything in terms of giving you or me predictability. So just, hey, every week I can know that I can get something from you. So I was like, what the heck can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I was like, one minute Wednesday. I like that. Because you know what day it is and you know how long it is. <laughs> you know? I was like, there's no ambiguity. So that was that was the impetus. And I was like, I had no idea how I was going to do that. I thought to myself, how the hell am I going to fill up one minute every week? That was like daunting. I was so was like, that your mission was like, okay, I'm going to do a YouTube channel and I'm going to go on every Wednesday and I'm going to do one minute. You know, did you come up with the idea first and then the content followed? Like, was that absolutely. sort of your intent? Absolutely. I, I, I first came up with the vehicle first. The vehicle was, okay, one minute Wednesday. I'm going to do this every week. Bang. After, after it comes out, you know, boom. So that was, that was the thing. And then I was like, okay, what, what can I cover in, in a minute? And the interesting thing about the one minute Wednesdays is that usually I'll, I'll just pick a topic, at least this is what it's evolved into, is that I'll pick a topic and I'll go, okay, I want to tackle about the importance of using disruption to to elevate your brand. Okay, good. And I might talk about a project I've worked on or how I helped a a company do this, or I might just talk about the concept in general. But I'll record between five to eight minutes and then my, my videographer edits it down to 60 seconds, give or take. Yeah, they're great. I love them. And you know, I love it's a minute because you're right. I mean, we're so busy and our attention span isn't very long. And right. so it's just enough that you can go on there and, and there's, like you said, there's so many different topics that you can just go on and click. And then you just give a really powerful, I mean, your videographer editor does a great job because he gets right to the meat of it. Right. So yeah. that's so important. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your book. Cause I know you've been chomping at the bit. You keep holding it up. So it's called brand. Yeah, listen. <laughs> That's what it sounds like when you hit it with your knuckle. You need like two hands to pick up that book. So it's called Brand Intervention, 33 Steps to Transform. Picks it back to screen. For those those that cannot see this, see this may may be one of your things. You can tell them, wow, it took up half the screen. It took up half the screen. It's huge. And we're talking about his book. So (laughs) Brand Intervention, 33 Steps to Transform the Brand You Have into the Brand You Need. So great title. Tell us about this book. You know, I'm seeing other people write books. I think I've got, I have some good content to share with people. And the other thing is that every one of my clients, I they all had the same blind spots. They all had the same speed bumps where they're, and if I ever discounted one of them, it would always bite me in the ass. Every time. If I was like, oh, they know it. Of course they know it. They've been doing, they've been in business 30, 40 years. And I, because I, I have clients that are from startups. So they've been in business a few years to companies that have been in business 30, 40 or more years. And they all have the same blind spot. And I really can only attribute that to the fact that they're too close to it. They don't lack that ability to be objective enough 
that coupled with experience, knowing what to look for, knowing what to dismiss. So that was, that was inspiration. That was like, you know, if I have found not a single exception to the rule, I literally had not found one person that didn't have me address these particular points. That was the thing that I basically wanted to now have accessible worldwide. That was my goal. I wanted to have this so that 24, seven, 365, anybody could have a bit of David Breyer, you know, right at their fingertips. When you say blind spots, were you and everybody had them, every single solitary person, is this the same blind spot or are they specific, unique to the individual client? No, they were the same things they skipped or missed or didn't realize were important. Can you share some of those? Well, sure. I mean, like, well, like, for example, one is the factor that what's the enemy of branding? Let me ask you that. Okay. You're you're asking me? Yeah. Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. What's the enemy? 100%. Hey, what's the enemy of branding? That's a good question. I'm I don't know. I'll tell you. So what it comes down to is this. If branding is the art of differentiation, what would be the antithesis of that? Things being same as one another. So so the cookie cutter concept. Right, exactly. And And so what do we know those cookie cutters to be? What are those? Those are cliches. Those are common, overused. They've lost their impact. They've become diluted through overuse and repetitive. For example, let's say there's 10 companies standing in front of me right now, and they're all pitching me on, I don't care, whatever. Let's say, use our printer. So I'm going to go, okay, I got 10 of these guys. 10 of these guys. They're standing here. They're going to use, 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 use. And they're going to talk best state-of-the-art, cutting-edge technology, uh, lightning-fast response time, Wi-Fi enabled, blah, 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 blah. And how many of those, as I go down the line, how many of those are going to say the same thing? Nine, if not all 10 of them. Yeah. And they're going to try and put it. And what's different about us is, and then you'll get something like this. We care. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, please shoot me now. Okay. Just shoot me now. Then they, then, then they say, but our difference is, and then they'll drop another cliche because we're made in the USA. Or, you know, or something stupid. It's like, just stop. So that's the enemy. So, and when you know that it's unbelievably liberating because it's like a conversation that I have with every client, I'll sit down and I'll say, so tell me why I, the consumer should care about you and your product. And they'll go, oh, well, 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 we're the best. We've been in the business the longest and da, 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 cliche and cliche and cliche and cliche and cliche and cliche and cliche. And I let them get it all out of their system. And I say, thank you. Now, why do I know that if I went to any of your competitors right now, I'd pretty much hear the same thing. And that's when their jaw drops and they go, oh my God. I said, that's your problem. You might think, you know, because otherwise prior to that, well, we've got to have a new logo or we need a new tagline or we need a new agency or we need a new, it's like, and they're, and they're just throwing darts, just hoping that something's going to land and they don't even know what their problem is yet. The problem is you haven't looked at your industry. You haven't looked at the amount of noise. You haven't looked at the amount of overused common promises, common pitches, common claims, and common business models. And the only road out is ingenuity because if you are really smart and if you are really innovative and you're very, very top of your game, you're going to come up with something brilliant. And you know what? People are going to notice that people are appreciating that level of brilliance. We must be our own worst enemy. If we are not willing to outperform our best high, our highest high, then we have actually failed because someone else will come and do that for us. We've always got to be upping our game. So we have to be, so I basically tell everybody, everybody that we have to be our own worst enemy and love that. Yeah. So tell me some more steps about uh, how to transform your brand, because I, I'm really find this fascinating. And I think our listener will too. This is my favorite chapter. 
and the shortest chapter. This is absolutely the, short, the shortest chapter. You, you, you've seen you've seen how large the font is on the in the book, right? Yeah. So my favorite is chapter twenty six. Says good versus great, and there's two sentences, one at the top of each page. That's the entire chapter, and they read. By the way, if you're not, for those of you that are listening, if you're not right now wrapped in a blanket, cozily sitting by a fire, you'll just you'll just feel all warm and fuzzy. You know, even if you even without a blanket, it says this: a good brand makes us feel good about what they stand for. A great brand makes us feel good about what we stand for. And the thing about that is that too often brands love it when brands are like, "Hey, what do you think of our our, our thing?" And it's like, "We this, we that, we this, we that, we." we. I say, "I hate it. You're the most important thing in the room." There's not enough oxygen for your customer to even even have an aspiration. Why should I care about you? You're the most selfish brand I've ever encountered, and you want me to love you? That's the thing when it comes to brand is is you've got to really know where the focus is, and it cannot be on yourself. So that goes back to what we talked earlier about tapping into what your customer or what your audience is passionate about and using that to help leverage and connect, right? Yes. And then, you know, and then the other thing is that not all ideas are of equal size. Not all brands are of equal size. You've got to know how big to get. People are going to look to the companies, the organizations, and the vision that is proactive enough to look at the actual problems of things and not just go the easy road. It's like, well, why, you know, why is this, why is this happening this way? And being and that level of proactivity that will change your relationship dramatically and your role in the lives of those that you serve. So, you know, to me, most brands think way too small. They need to actually increase the scope of what they're serving. And again, it comes back to like what I was talking about earlier, that like when I say, what business are you in? Perfect example, simple. There's a company, a client of mine out in Massachusetts, and they make the most amazing premium dog food. It actually helps some of their dogs recover from cancer and other diseases. And so it was remarkable. And it's health. You know, you have products like Puppy Chow and Purina, and you have this, that, the other, and IMs, and that's all crap. I mean, it's all highly processed junk. There's nothing good in it for the dog. It's convenient for the dog owner, but it's not good for the dog. Don't hold back. See how you really feel. (laughs) <laughs> well, the thing, the thing about it too, is that, so I'm, I'm asked to create this brand and, you know, and these guys are a great, uh, a great couple that actually has this. And I, I was like, okay, let's, let's really crush this. And just to paint the picture, it was so effective that even through the entirety of 2020, the whole pandemic, they have over the last 24 months, 4X their company in size and uh, the deliverables and sales. And, you know, they started out as high meadow farms. That sounds nice. What does that mean to anybody? What does that do? So I looked at the values. I looked at their customer base. I looked at the values of their customers. I looked at the lifestyle things that they considered important. And looking at all those things, I then proposed a brand new brand, a brand new brand in in terms of design, name, and everything. So I went from High Meadow Farms to Napa Fresh Food for Dogs. And when you hear Napa Fresh, anybody that hears Napa, you think Rolling Hills, wine, cheese, you know, nice Tuscan vibe and feel and all of that, you know, and then the branding and the look just stunningly gorgeous. So that's just an example of knowing where to look and where to avoid. That's amazing. And then you rebranded and then their business totally changed. 100%. Thank you for sharing that because you hear a lot of times I had another guest on where he talked about how he did the same sort of thing. And, you know, when he talks to companies, it's like, you know, you don't have a sales problem, you have a branding problem. I don't think a lot of companies get that. And they really need to go back and look at who they are and what they're saying and what their message is. Okay, so I'm really interested to know you are a self-described chocolate whisperer. And you're talking to a self-described chocolate lover over here. So how does one become a chocolate whisperer? And what is a chocolate whisperer? 
her. It's important to be able to like go really low with your brain. Okay. So because that way that way you can say, Hello, dark chocolate. How are you? <laughs> Do you prefer dark to milk? What's your favorite? Ah, uh, yes. Well, with a good chocolatier that knows how to really properly temper the chocolate. Not all chocolatiers know that, but I learned to love dark chocolate because of one of my clients that was a chocolatier. When I rebranded their brand, their sales went in one month, literally the first month after we released. It was the softest launch of any launch ever done. Their sales of truffles tripled 300%. Amazing. In, in 30 days. And it was just because of like how it was talked about, how it was presented. But they had an ability. They had a 99% cacao a chocolate truffle. It was unbelievable. There's no bitterness whatsoever. All these different percentages. And it was just astonishing. And so that's when I got to really appreciate that it wasn't dark chocolate that I disliked. It was actually poorly tempered dark chocolate where they, you know, because chocolate is kind of like coffee. You could take a great bean and you could roast it poorly and it'll taste terrible. Like I have, I have one of the best roasters in America that I, I, you know, I have them every three weeks. They ship me out two pounds of this coffee that they roast. They're one of the, they're one of the best roasters in America. They are able to just get such a gorgeous flavor profile. And that's just an example. Go straight back to the chefs that I was talking about in the beginning. Food is obviously the subtext of this entire conversation. We've actually <laughs> only been talking really about food. Everything we said about branding today applies to food. Please exactly. take note of and eat wisely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I love that you said that about chocolate and that you compared it to coffee because I totally agree with you. I'm a bit of a coffee snob and to be able, I like drinking coffee black and you know, it's got to be good when it's really smooth and you don't have to add anything to it. Right. right. And so chocolate whisper, just, you just call yourself that because that's a name that you decided. Because I can talk in low whispery tones. I could say, hello, hello, dark chocolate. Where are you? You come here often? <laughs> Me too. So, yeah, so I can whisper. I like that. Exactly. exactly. I need to learn to whisper more. <laughs> okay, yeah. last question, David. Let's talk about the David Breyer brand. How would you describe that after everything we've just talked about and all your different names, but really at the essence, how would you describe the David Breyer brand? Joyously defiant and resiliently unstoppable. <laughs> Or at least joyously defiant and resiliently unstoppable. So are you consider yourself pretty resilient? Yes, I absolutely. You know, I do too. I think, I, I think it's I think it's a vital quality. If you're gonna if you're gonna be a creator of any type, you could be thrown off your game like, oh, I got a hater today because of blank, blank, blank. I mean, you know, every every one of us has the choice and option any day of the week to go, damn it. I got less of an enthusiastic response that, that I want that I wanted or that I hope to, or I didn't I didn't achieve X Y Z and oh I'm a I, I hate myself or I put out this I put out this amazing content I spent I spent hours putting this together and no one's appreciated it etc 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 and if you don't have that your own resiliency your own bounce back ability you'll be crushed daily if not hourly easily i i totally agree with you and you know when i think of resiliency on top of all that i also think about failures and obstacles that you overcome in life that's actually where i came up with the name branding badass because i've had like you know a lot of shit happen in my life especially in the last few years mm -hmm. and you know people have said to me like i don't know how you managed to keep going and i think that you know so when i think of a badass so a badass is someone who is resilient and who gets knocked down 
down three times but gets up four times and you just keep going and I and it's hard to do but I think if you can learn from that and be better and stronger so you David Breyer are a badass <laughs> because well, I think resiliency is is uh, I admire that I think I try to be resilient because you got to be a survivor right 100% you know the bottom line is is every one of us has the opportunity and the ability to inspire and help and elevate others if we are so mired into our own stuff. Where did I get traction? Where did I not get traction? Me, 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 me. It's like, you know what? That is the weakest foundation because you are failing to rise up to your ability to actually help others. It may feel like, oh, I'm devastated because something happened to me that I didn't like. But you know what? The thing that keeps me bouncing back is if I buy that for more than about three minutes, which I don't, I happen to have an amazingly great wife. I'll always tell her, always say, you know, you, you are the most stubborn person that I know outside of me, but we're stubborn for the right things and the right reasons. It's not a stubbornness to just be stubborn or, or just be malicious or, but it's like, no, this can be better. This doesn't have to be this way. So that resilience, that persistence, that, that just tenacity on that particular thing, because that resilience is not just me being resilient because I want to continue on my path. It's me being resilient so I can continue to rise and help others rise. That's a great note to finish on. And I think I said this to you when we first met. I mean, that was why I started this podcast is to help people. So when they listen to someone like you who they admire and they learn and they walk away and then they can maybe do your class or your book, that's what it's all about. And I love when I get emails and messages from people telling me that it's helping them with their business or their branding or whatever. I mean, you're absolutely right. So thank you. So if people want to learn more about the famous David Breyer and more about your book or your masterclass, how can they find you? Where are you? Well, they can certainly go to my website, which is risingabovethenoise.com. That's R-I-S-I-N-G, risingabovethenoise.com. That's sort of like a central hub, but they could certainly hit me up on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. LinkedIn, I do posts 365 days a year. Great content. I will always provide something original. Okay, great. And your book is available. Your book, Brand Intervention, 33 Steps to Transform the Brand You Have into the Brand You Need, yes. is available where? On Amazon? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, It's a, 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 any of those. Okay. And congratulations, because it became like a bestseller right away, didn't it? Yeah. Within, wow. within, within two days, it became a number one bestseller. That's amazing. Congrats. Well, I'm so thrilled and honored that you are a guest on my podcast. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. Same here. Same here. Appreciate it. All right. Well, we will stay in touch. For sure. Okay. Bye. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. And most of all, I hope you had some fun. This show is a work in progress, so please make sure to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about me and what I do to help my clients with their branding, feel free to reach out to me on any of the social channels under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. This podcast was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson, also me. So thanks again, and until next time, here's to all you badasses out there.